You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Heavenly Father, we pray that by the Holy Spirit, you might manifest yourself and that we might see Jesus as he is and that we might hear and read Mark and inwardly digest uh, who he is for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, Have you ever wondered why Christians make such a big deal out of the Bible? Uh, You yourself may be a Christian, and you wonder, why do Christians make such a big deal out of the Bible? Well, 2 Peter proclaims to us this morning not just the importance of the Word of God, the Bible, but its preeminent place in the life of the Christian. And so let's look at our reading from 2 Peter. Uh, I draw your attention to the worship booklet, or uh, if you'd like to follow along in the Pew Bible, it's page 1018. Now, Peter writes, this is his last letter, to uh, the church, and the church is expecting uh, Jesus to come back at any moment. Uh, Well, in the same way that we ought to. We live in the age of the Spirit, and we ought to live with great expectancy that Jesus uh, will come back. And if you're like me, there are moments in your life, uh, normally when I was in college taking exams, where you thought, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Uh, And so we ought to look with some expectancy for the return of the Lord, but living in the age of the Spirit as we do, uh, Peter here is reminding them that the Lord, we don't know when he's going to come back, but there's work to do while we're here. And so Peter writes a reminder letter. And I think you can go so far as to say that this is God's reminder letter, not just to the people in the day and age that Peter was writing to, but to us. In verse 1, in the first chapter, we have Peter writing to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's us. Uh, that's, That's us. And so Peter also writes to remind us. Well, to remind us of what? And why remind us? Well, firstly, he wants to remind us of the word of the cross of Jesus Christ. And whenever we speak of the cross of Christ, we're using that as shorthand for his death and his resurrection. So the preeminence of the word of the cross, of salvation in Jesus Christ, how the cross has not just defeated our sin, as Jesus is our substitute, but the death on the cross of Jesus also reconciled us to God so that we might become his sons and daughters. And that message is the end-all, be-all of Christianity, full stop. But why remind them? Well, we see here in 2 Peter, beginning with the 13th verse, that one, Peter is nearing death, and so there's an urgency. But two, he knows that we are prone to forgetfulness. And then three, false teachers are coming in. Well, reminder is a significant theme uh, throughout the entirety of the scriptures. So why remind them? Uh, Well, because at both At the end of Peter's life and in Paul's life, 
Here in 2 Peter and in Paul's final epistle, 2 Timothy, you find them using a lot of reminding language. But even before that, Paul also says this in his own ministry, that it's to remind you of the gospel I preach to you, which you have received, on which you have taken your stand. And when he's trying to combat the heresy in Corinth, he doesn't say, well, here's a new way to look at it. But he actually hearkens back to an old teaching, the teaching of the cross, which is why when Timothy is faced with error, he says in the first chapter of his second epistle to Timothy that first and foremost, I'm writing that you remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead and to keep reminding them of these things. And so Peter understands the urgency of the message of the cross as people are perishing spiritually all around him. One, it's because he's nearing the end of his life. You may remember at the end of John's gospel where uh, uh, at the reckon, not the end of John's gospel, where is it? Where he reconciles Peter. Come on, clergy, don't you read your Bibles? Luke, thank you. When he gets to the end of Luke's gospel, when he says, feed my sheep, and then he and John get into it a little bit, and Jesus says, look, you're going to die a martyr's death. And Peter, at this point, this is the whole point of my sermon, by the way. John, I was right in the first place. This is pretty much the sermon, so I should sit down now. But, see, this is what happens when the Spirit shows up. I get off track. Jesus promises Peter a martyr's death, but even then, at this point in Peter's writing, Peter's getting old in age. And so Peter knows, I'm going to die soon. And so there's an urgency that I remind you to proclaim the cross of Jesus Christ, who he is and what he's done on our behalf. But not just that, Peter has a fire in the bones. This is the all-consuming thing to him. Uh, This is the only message that he preaches. This is the only message that Paul preached. I desire to know nothing amongst you except Christ and him crucified. And so there's an urgency to the message that he's sharing. But also, we have a propensity to forget. And Peter, of all people, knows this better than any. I mean, Peter's the same guy who, you know, he's the guy that that aces the quiz but fails the course. I mean, this is the same guy who, when Jesus says, who do people say that I am? uh, Peter gets it right. You are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. And then in just a couple verses later, when Jesus says that he needs to be handed over to death and suffering, Peter says, forbid it, Lord. You don't need to die. Don't talk like that. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. So Peter himself knows better than any that he needs to be reminded of why Jesus came. He came into the world to save sinners. But also Peter remembers his great mistake in the transfiguration. Here he gives us the testimony. He said, I was there. I was on the mountain. And I heard the voice of this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven for we were with him on the holy mountain. And you heard in our gospel reading this morning that when 
Peter and James and John see Jesus transfigured in all his glory. They actually see him as he is. What's Peter's response? Let's build a cabin. We've arrived. This is Shangri-La, and we need to build one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. We need to stay on the mountaintop. But then they hear a voice from heaven that says, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. You see, seeing is not believing. I was in uh, the Moscow, Russia airport some years ago, and I was transfixed. I had a lot of time to kill, obviously. And I kept going by this window, and I couldn't figure it out. It was this egg that would open up And as it would open up, these two robotic figures, their mouths would open wide in tandem with the opening egg. And there was nothing in the egg, but they would just kind of... And I just looked. I couldn't figure it out. I had no idea what it was about. Now, there was a bunch of Russian Cyrillic writing down there, but I don't speak Russian, much less read it. Uh, Without understanding that, I had no way to make sense of what was happening in that display. And in the same way, Peter is only able to make sense of the transfiguration when? When they hear a voice from heaven. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And what does God the Father say? Does he say, look at him? No, he says what? Listen to him. Listen to him. Which is why what Peter wants us to remember is the testimony of the word of God concerning who Jesus Christ is. Because even though you might have a mind-blowing experience, we easily get it wrong. And that it has to be filtered through the lens of the very word of God. In fact, Peter goes so far in verse 19 to say, I was with him on the holy mountain. I saw it all. Changed my life. It was amazing. But then he says this, and we have something more sure. The prophetic word to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. In spite of the fact that I was on the mountain, you actually have something better. You have something that is supreme to the experience that I had on the mountain, and that is the prophetic word of God. Even the very words that we are reading right now. Looking at chapter 3, verse 1, this is not the first time Peter has reminded them. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. And both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. And he goes on to say, For no prophecy was ever procured or produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit of God. And how did they know it was the voice of the Father there on the mountain? 
because it was the word of God. This is my well-beloved son with whom I am pleased is actually two Bible verses smashed together, one from Psalm 2 and one from Isaiah 42. Psalm 2 talks about the promised Messiah who would come, the great king who would come and rule over all. And Isaiah 42 is about the suffering servant, the one upon whom all the sins of the world would be laid, who would be led like a lamb before its shearer who would go to his own slaughter without even saying a word. And until the transfiguration, those two characters were seen as wholly separate. Because how can you be a great and mighty king, and yet one that is willing to submit themselves unto even death? And yet at the transfiguration, that's exactly what happens. Behold my my well-beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. In the person of Jesus Christ, you have the promised Messiah and King, but also the one who would suffer and die for those he came to save. This is God's interpretation of who Jesus is. In the presence of Moses and Elijah, the great pillars of the Old Testament prophecy, Jesus is the great one. Jesus is the one to whom we listen to. And so that's why Peter says, look, you're living in a dark age. And in the same way we're living in a dark age now, that if you want to be rooted and have a lamp to be able to navigate the broken and fallen world that we live in, you have to tether yourself to the word of God. Uh, You yourself must know how to handle the word of God. Now, this is hard in our culture that we live in because for the longest time in America, what we believed as Christians was affirmed in our culture. And now that's no longer the case. In fact, much of our culture has been antagonistic to Christian belief, which quite frankly is the testimony of the church throughout the centuries. Uh, The fact that the culture would reaffirm or affirm Christian belief, uh, that's isolated. Uh, But I've often heard the conversation go like this. Well, I believe this or I don't believe that. Well, why? Well, because the Bible says so. Well, where does it say that in the Bible? Well, I don't know, but my preacher said it. Now, praise God for godly men and women who faithfully preach the scriptures and the word of God. Uh, But if that's what our faith is built upon, then we've built our faith on the opinion of an individual and not the word of God. And so my job and any preacher's job is actually to preach in such a way that you are driven to the very word of God. And that you can actually see for yourself. Look, we don't stand over the scriptures and interpret it for people. We think in our culture that the writer writes and we interpret. But in the Bible, the writer does the interpreting. And it's up to us to read it, not to interpret it. It's up to us to expound it in the same way that Peter is doing here. He's not appealing uh, simply to his own experience. He's saying, but we heard this voice from heaven. Like a pair of glasses that brings things into focus. We don't look at the glasses 
I mean, it'd be ridiculous up here for me to go like this. But I wear glasses and I look through them so that I can see you. And in the same way, interpreting the interpretation in the word is like looking at your glasses instead of through them. The Bible is not the writer's interpretation, but God's interpretation. It's not each individual's observation of what God is up to in that moment, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And this is why Paul, I mean, Peter goes to such great lengths to talk about the preaching of the cross, to preach the word of God. This is why Paul writes in Romans chapter 3, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the very power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And so you see why that when those who preach anything other than the gospel of Jesus Christ, his cross and resurrection, they preach without power. So that's the third reason why he says, this is why I'm reminding you. I'm reminding you because there's an urgency. I'm reminding you because you're prone to forget and you need to constantly be forced back into the word. And then finally, there are false teachers that are going to come. Now, why should we be wary of those who come to us preaching a different gospel? But better yet, how does this manifest itself? Well, when it comes to heretics, the most insidious kind is not the one who walks in and says, Jesus wasn't raised from the dead. They're easy to deal with because they're obvious. But the one who simply ignores the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead... You know, most wolves don't walk around with a sign around their neck that says, Hi, I'm a wolf. They don't. They're they're very hard. And, you know, one of the ways that I used to try to gauge preaching is I used to turn on my Jesus counter, and I would keep track of the number of times that they would say Jesus. Uh, But then I realized that's totally wrong. It's not just what they're saying, but what is the preacher not saying? And if the preacher won is not preaching from the word where this becomes superfluous and you can just put it away. If it's not driving you to the very word, then they're not preaching the word of God. They're preaching an opinion. And I'm not talking about, you know, preaching a sermon on Esther and then at the end saying, now let me tell you about the cross. But if you're listening to preachers and they're not constantly driving you to the word and pointing you toward Jesus Christ and him crucified... You're dealing with someone who may not deny the resurrection, who may not deny Jesus' death on the cross, but they just ignore it. And they elevate other things in the word of God over the message of the cross that it becomes eclipsed. And that's no gospel at all. Because to add to the gospel is to subtract. And it's the word of the cross that is folly to those who are perishing. But to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And this is how God chooses to work in the world today. He's not found in wisdom or signs and wonders, but the message of what Jesus has done for us and upon the cross is proclaimed. God's plan of salvation is implemented then through the preaching of his cross, which is rooted in the word of God. Let me give you uh, a metaphor for this. 
When I was growing up, uh, there was a dad who was looking after his son uh, the, and some other boys who were swimming in a pond uh, on somebody else's property. And the boys were about six, seven years old. And one of the boys swam out a little too far, and he was not a strong swimmer, and he began to panic. And the adults saw him, the dad that was supervising him, but it turned out the dad couldn't swim. So thankfully, some of the other boys at six and seven years old swam out and helped their friend to safety. Now, if you had known that the adult looking after your child couldn't swim, how comfortable would you feel having them lifeguard your children? Of course, it might only be one out of a hundred times that would produce a problem, but when the problem comes, it makes all the difference in the world. If we wouldn't tolerate that situation for a minute, why would we allow the same in submitting ourselves to the supervision of one who has no idea of how to handle the Word of God? There comes a point, if not many points in all of our lives, when we find ourselves in deep water and we can't get out. And it's in these moments when we will perish at the hands of the one whom we have been entrusted even our own pastors. He has no ability or resources to get you out. He might tell you a nice story, but you're still drowning. And so at the best, you might die with a warm heart and a smile on your face. To carry this even further, some of you may say, well, Andrew, I hear what you're saying. Uh, I need to be reminded I need to be on my guard. I do feel the sense of urgency, but I don't know how to read the Bible. And to continue our metaphor, I mean, you might be the person uh, who is of an age where it's frankly an embarrassment that you don't know how to swim. And you don't want anybody to know, uh, but there's a part of you that thinks, you know, I need to really learn how to swim, but I'm kind of at the point where I'm too old, and should I really do that? Well, my friends, when the waves come crashing in, are you going to be able to tread the water? Why should you learn? Because it could be a matter of life and death. And how much more serious is it to be able to handle the Word of God so that you might be saved and to see others saved as well for all eternity? And so this morning, Better, you know, I, I, what I'd love for you to do is to fill out a visitor card, even if you've been coming here your entire life, and simply write on there, I want someone to show me how to read God's Word. I want someone to show me how to handle the Bible. I want someone to help me in my understanding so that I might hear God as He speaks, and to place it in the offering plate. And it may be that you say, well, I'm kind of embarrassed to do that, but how much more embarrassing is it going to be down the road when you're not going to be able to handle the Word of God and the culture comes caving in on us and we have nothing left to stand on but the opinions of others? And so I would ask that you do that this morning. One of the most heartwarming things that happened uh, in maybe in the entirety of my ministry was we had a boys' choir come here to the Advent to sing uh, for us, and you may remember that we gave away a lot of Bibles uh, there in Klingman Commons. And these boys who go to a church school came to me and asked, whose are those Bibles, who are the Bibles for? 
And I said, well, they're for anybody. And each one of them said, well, I don't have a Bible. These are boys that go to a church school, and they've never had a Bible of their own. And so I had the great honor of giving them their very first Bible so that they too could open it and hear the very word of God for themselves. And so if you don't have a Bible this morning, steal one from our pews. I'm suspending the commandment uh, for the day. And still, that's what they're there for, for you to read. They're not a, a sign for anything other than that. They're for you to read. And so, friends, let's take to heart what Peter has to say to us in his second epistle today, these words of reminder that there's an urgency. There's a fire in our bones, and we've got to get the gospel out and boldly proclaim the word of the cross, which we have to be reminded of time and time again by going into his word. And there are going to be false teachers that come, but for those of us who are rooted in God's word, when the storms come and the seas begin to rise, we stand firm, for we are built upon the message of the cross, which is the word of God. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.